Come, Holy Spirit, and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and we will be created, and you, Lord, will renew the face of the earth. Please be comfortable. Good morning. That's a crazy thing to say, I get that, to be comfortable. As um, you're staring at me with a mask, I'm staring at you with a mask. I know we have people out there who are looking at me with a mask. Where there is um, disease and death and discomfort all around. On this Father's Day, when Jesus is saying, I came to turn father against son and son against father. Be comfortable. What is going on there? Maybe as a child you were told, um, maybe there was something that scared you in your room at night and when the lights were off and you weren't able to get to sleep and a well-meaning parent or maybe a babysitter came in and said, there's nothing to be afraid of. Did that help at all? It's kind of like telling someone who's got an anxiety disorder, just relax, chill out, don't be so anxious. Does that help at all? Never. Jesus is wiser than that. Jesus doesn't say, there's nothing to be scared of. Instead, he says, don't be afraid. And there's a difference. There's a difference between saying there's nothing to be scared of and saying there's a lot to be scared about. And yet, don't let that fear paralyze you. Don't succumb to the fear. Don't be afraid. You see the difference? Now, I'm going to need some help from you, not so much from y'all, but from y'all here. I can't see your face. So I, I can't see if you're smiling. So when I say, does that make sense? I need you to move. So I need some head action or hand. Oh, if I get an amen, that'd be even better. So let's look at what does it take? What does it take in order to not be afraid? Despite the presence, the very presence of those things. Because this gospel, according to Stanley Sanders, who is a New Testament professor, so he knows a lot more about this than I do. He says there are three things in this very gospel to help us understand how, despite the fears, we cannot be afraid. We cannot be cowered by them or succumb to them or be paralyzed by them. First thing he says that Jesus does is he says they're real, that this is going to happen. Don't be surprised by this. When you proclaim the gospel, when you live out the good news that the kingdom has come near, that God's way of living and being, once you start living that out, it is going to cause conflict and division. There's something about living God's way that threatens the order and the powers that are currently in existence. And so that becomes really, really scary and really divisive. Jesus says, listen, a disciple is not above the teacher or a slave above the master. They're like him. That's the point of being a disciple is to be like Jesus. And if this is what they do to me, if this is what they say about me, if you're doing it right, the powers of this world, 
are going to react to what you say. It's going to cause division. He goes on to say, right? Don't think I've come to bring peace to the world, but a sword. To set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Living out the gospel will cause division and conflict. It may cause division and conflict within our very selves. For me, personally, the call of the gospel to make following Jesus the priority and primary allegiance of my life causes divisions even within myself. I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up hearing about Americans in the 40s who happened to be of Japanese heritage being carted off and put in prison of their homes and their businesses being taken, never to be returned. I didn't hear about that. So to hear about that now, it causes divisions within myself. To put a Black Lives Matter poster on your front door may cause division within your neighborhood, maybe even within your own household. If we're going to stand up for the values of the kingdom, we can be sure that there will be division. And yet Jesus says, but don't be afraid. So the first step is knowing it's going to come. So then we're not surprised. And we won't have to be powered by that fear. The second step is to recognize that the powers of this world, as threatening as they are, as loud as the saber's rattle can be, do not have the ultimate power that they say they have. And if we can trust that in the fallacy and the fallibility of the powers of this world, then we cannot be so threatened. We cannot succumb to fear. They have power. They have power to kill the body, but they can't kill the soul. Jesus says it's better to fear God, to have a healthy respect for God, because God's power is ultimate. And that has to come first, even before our relationships with our mothers and fathers and our kids, and dare I say it, even our country. Because God's power has the ultimate authority on our lives and the life of the world. And when we can count on that power, first and foremost, then the powers of the rest of the world, we don't have to be so afraid. For what can death do to us? Death no longer has dominion over Jesus or us. Consider yourselves also dead to sin and alive to God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah, it's scary. These divisions are going to come. These powers are going to threaten. But don't be afraid. They don't have ultimate power over us. Because, and this is the third thing that is the antidote to being paralyzed by fear, even in times like this, is because God is with us always. Always, and especially 
in these acts of love and mercy, we see and know that God is that close to us. Close enough that we can take all these scary things, look them in the eye, and keep walking, following Jesus, even taking up the cross. It's a lot to ask, and it may seem impossible. But I saw someone do it this week in the story they told me, and I'm going to share this with her permission. Joy Rokes is a parishioner many of us know. She has congestive heart failure, which is an ongoing condition, and it has reached the point for her of, of being very serious. And she had the possibility of having a, a, a surgery that was a, a, a kind of a last resort surgery. And the alternative was to go home with this black bag of antibiotics and a pump instead of having the surgery and live with the disease as long as she can. After talking with the surgeons, her doctors, her family, much prayer, she, along with that group, concluded that she wasn't going to have the surgery. She said, I'm going to pick up that black bag, and I'm going to go home, and I'm going to live the best life I can for as long as I can. That is someone who is picking up her cross, her, her black bag. She knows the scary things are there. She has stared them in the eye. She knows that the power of death does not have dominion over her. And so she's going to pick up that black bag, trusting that God is with her. And she's going to go home and live as long as she can. Do you see? That's how we can proceed without fear. It's not that the other things out there aren't still scary. It's that despite the scariness, we continue. Can we do that? What kind of faith does it take to do that? Brother um, David Ryhoff from the Society of St. John the Evangelist offered this this week. And it has helped me understand what sort of faith we should be praying for. The faith that is needed, Brother David says, is not a faith that exists only in the mind, but a faith that has taken hold of the heart, the unshakable conviction that God is, and that God loves, and that God can and will deliver us and see us through any trouble because we are much more valued than any sparrows. What will it take for us to have this kind of faith, this unshakable conviction that has seized our heart so that we know and trust that God can and will deliver us through any trouble and that we can walk through this world taking up our cross, following Jesus, 
Not because there's nothing to be afraid of, but in spite of the things that we're afraid of. What will that look like for each of us, for all of us? Well, it may look like putting on a mask, right? It may mean that we put on this mask as an act of love that may cause division within our household. But we know that the power of, of those threats don't have dominion over us. We know that the power of love is greater than all of those powers and threats. We know that this act of love and mercy is to keep other people safe. And so we put on the mask and we go forward trusting that Jesus is with us, especially an act of love and mercy. It may also mean not picking up a cross or picking up our black bag or even putting on our mask, but it may mean pulling up a chair. It may mean listening to difficult truths that we haven't experienced in our lifetimes because of the good fortune of the color of our skin. It may mean that we really need to listen to uncomfortable truths from our brothers and sisters who are different from us, whose skin color has made their experience of life in our country very different than we've had. And that's a scary thing to do. It may seem like the powers of that conversation threaten the very ground that we stand on, and that that is too great of a power to be threatened or challenged. And I hope we will remember that Jesus said that this sort of conflict and confrontation would come. He reminds us that the powers of this world are no match for the power of God's love. And he promised that he would be with us always, even to the end of the age. St. Augustine's there is, in this time, there are many things that scare me. I imagine there are many things that scare you as well. Don't be afraid. You know why? You know why. Because the same God that loves and cares for the world today will love and care for us tomorrow. Have no fear. That God is with us always.